This is a Clark University podcast. When you're a five-year-old boy on the playground and you're crying, right, because you're in pain because you got injured and a bunch of people are standing around you and saying, you're a girl, you're a girl, you cry like a girl. As a five-year-old, you're thinking, okay, can't be a girl. That's a bad thing. I know that already. What do I need to do? I need to stop expressing vulnerable emotions. That's five. By the time you're 25, right, or even 15, much of this has gone on to automatic pilot. And you just sort of know when you enter into situations, even if no one's around, even if it's just encountering your own vulnerable emotional experience, there's a sort of an overlearned, quick, automatic response that says, nope, not the time to do this. I need to man up. What does it mean to be masculine? It's a question psychology professor Michael Addis has been investigating for years. He's found a rift between his understanding of masculinity as a psychologist compared to the average person's perception. In the everyday world, masculinity is either the deep sort of inner essence of what makes men men, either a biological essence or a psychological trait, or it's often thought of as a set of personality traits, you know, that that people of any gender can have, but still a trait. Something that's inside of us and something that's stable and doesn't really change over time. And in contrast, my understanding of masculinity is that it's a performance, a set of actions that people undertake in specific situations to establish themselves as credible to their gender. You know, to put that in sort of everyday terms, it's a way I, as a male identifying person, can do something, even in a split second, to reassure myself and those around me, okay, I'm doing it right. I'm a good representative of the identity male. And that's what masculinity is. And and as a result, it's totally tied up in societal and cultural definitions of what is acceptable and not acceptable for male identified people to do. I'm Melissa Hansen, a producer in Clark's communications office, and this is Challenge Change. The concept of toxic masculinity has gained steam over the last decade. The phrase has created a buzz on social media, particularly by people who attribute misogyny and homophobia to these so-called toxic men. To Michael, the term's popularity is troublesome. There's no doubt that Many of the things that that boys and men have been taught to do to perform their masculinity can be harmful to themselves and to people of other genders as well. And that's well supported by research. To call that toxic masculinity presumes that or creates an understanding that that assumes there's a non-toxic version of it. And so all we need to do is get rid of the toxic version and the so-called positive side of masculinity will be allowed to thrive. And I think that comes from a good place, that motivation, because it comes from a place of wanting to not portray all men as horrible human beings and as inherently flawed, but it, it makes the mistake of equating masculinity and men. Like we need a non-toxic version of masculinity because we need a non-toxic version of men. 
But how about we just let go of the idea of masculinity, that men are supposed to perform and behave and feel and think a certain way because of their gender. Whether that leads to so-called toxic or so-called non-toxic results, we still have this social process of policing people by gender, which we know historically hasn't worked very well for women at all. So there's not a lot of reason to think it's going to ultimately work well for men. There's a whole range of positive experiences related to emotional awareness, intimacy, connections with other people, improving your own mental and physical health. All of these things are helped by letting go of the pressure to be a certain way because of your gender. When men spend years, even decades, avoiding intimate connections with others and vulnerability, the long-term result is often a less enriched life. One of the long-term consequences of staying inside this masculinity box is that we, we can go for decades without genuine support for the challenges of living, right? without emotional support when we're going through tough times. We can also, depending upon how we enact masculinity, we can actually be doing things over time that make our lives less rewarding, make our health more challenging, right? So for example, one of the things that's considered manly is to drink a lot of alcohol and eat a lot of food. Take that sort of idea over 30 years and you can see the health consequences at age 50 or 60. So you see things like increased rates of anger when depression is present, right? So you see depression masquerading as anger and maybe increased drinking, um, sexual acting out, increased risk-taking. One of the things we've learned that's really helpful with men in situations like this is to um, help them not only see that, that those kinds of behaviors are problematic ultimately, but that they may come from the pressure you're feeling to quote unquote man up in a certain way when there are other options, other coping options in your toolbox. The suicide rates for adult men um, between the ages of 40 and 55 have been going up over the last couple of decades. And, and one of the reasons that that may be happening is the increased isolation that happens with men um, as we get closer to retirement. Being a, a, a lone ranger is a sort of archetype of cool white masculinity of the last 50, 60 years, right, in American culture. This idea of handling it on your own, toughing it through it. That, that works to some degree in, in particular situations as we go through life, but as a steady diet, it's a recipe for a potential disaster when you get into your 40s and 50s. Maybe you're going through a divorce, maybe your kids have, have uh, you know, flown the nest and now you're facing all this time. What, what am I gonna do with this? And oh my gosh, I'm alone. It's hard for Americans, I think, in general, to reach out for support. We, we're, we're not a terribly interconnected culture. But if you put on top of that shame, because it feels like maybe I'm not living up to who I should be as a man, maybe it makes me weak to need friends, to want to talk about 
you know, my health conditions that I'm dealing with or to want to talk about what it feels like to have my child leave home or I want to talk about what it feels like to struggle at my job. And, and I don't mean talk about complain and get angry and get drunk. I mean, really sort of share that I don't have life figured out. If that feels shameful on top of this sort of isolation that's increasingly normative for Americans, then you can begin to see why this masculinity stuff is really more than a sort of intellectual idea for a lot of people. Creating a cultural change is a long, arduous process, but Michael is seeing progress. The National Basketball Association has led professional sports for many years in raising awareness about mental health concerns amongst men. We're beginning to see younger generations of men be less afraid of breaking some of these gender roles which means more open to seeking help when they have troubles in lives, um, more open to having friendships with people of a range of gender-based identities, right? Less homophobia, less transphobia. I certainly see in my, in my students at Clark a, a, a really dramatic change in their awareness of how gender operates and their ability to put it into positive action in their lives by, by creating more open relationships with others, taking care of themselves more. It's activating and empowering for young people to think, what are the messages that I've internalized about gender? I see this all the time in my psychology of men classes where students come in and begin to actually think and talk and share and write about what their own gender roles were that they internalized growing up. This then leads to a sort of critical thought process of, well, how is this working for me? Right? Like this, this is what I do. This is how I think. But now I'm at this multicultural university with people of all different backgrounds. And my, I feel like I'm changing. Maybe I need to rethink some of these things. Traditionally, college is a great time to experiment with who you are in, in, in positive ways. What are my assumptions about really basic things like race and gender and social class? And are these assumptions helping me to be the kind of person I want to be in the world? Or are they holding me back in some ways? And what do I need to change? While social change can pave the way to a healthier society, Michael believes it's important for people to be aware of their connections and relationships and to act intentionally. So to put this in concrete terms, in terms of men and masculinity, young boys who are only exposed to a sort of traditional Western hyper-masculine view of manhood, you know, violence, domination, anti-femininity, if that's all they're exposed to, it's hard to know that there are other options. But take a young boy who's typically in that environment and provide him exposure to men who he admires and respects, who maybe have a wider range of emotional expression, who are supportive of women's empowerment, who have friends and close friends of a range of sexualities, sexual orientations and identities, that's where the flexibility starts. People of all genders are capable of constructing genders, right? Men and women and non-binary people create masculinities and femininities. The biggest thing that people need 
is awareness. Is it possible that more people will begin to move away from the practice of performing gender? Michael thinks so. I think we're at a point where it's not a crazy idea to think about freeing ourselves from the expectations of gender all the time. You know, once you sort of make a distinction between men and masculinity and start thinking, well, what is, what is masculinity exactly? And, and what is doing it produce in your life and in the lives of others? You start to begin to see people's eyes open. The work that I'm talking about here rests on the back of second wave feminist scholars and activists who tried to raise awareness of how feminine gender roles were harmful to women. We're talking about doing the same thing for men and women have succeeded. There's still a long way to go, but I have every reason to think that we can do the same thing with men. So, after years of researching masculinity, has Michael's understanding of his gender evolved? Yes, this is the number one question I get from students in my class. What is it like for you to think about this all the time? Has your life gotten better? Like, do you, do you have, you know, do you have male friends who, who avoid this stuff? The short answer is it's been tremendously helpful to me. It's created a language to talk about some things that I've felt and thought for a long time, but couldn't put my finger on. Why is it a struggle for me to say, I'm not doing well today, period. Not, I'm not doing well today, but you know, it's the way it goes, but I'm not doing well today, but I'll figure it out. I'm not doing well today. Hey, do you want to go get drunk? Like the, these things, you know, were automatic and now I have a language to talk about it. So, so yeah, it's been a gift. To learn more about psychology at Clark, visit clarku.edu slash psychology. Challenge Change is produced by Andrew Hart and Melissa Hansen for Clark University. Find other episodes wherever you listen to podcasts. One, two, three. Clark! <laughs>